Hi, I'm Evan Hunsberger. And I'm Will Overman. And you're listening to Deep Cuts and Coffee. On this week's episode of Deep Cuts and Coffee, Will and I are really excited to invite to the podcast J. Tom Nato. Tom has been working as a producer, engineer, and multi-instrumentalist for over 15 years, from touring with Horse Feathers, These United States, The Minor Birds, Joe Pug, and William Matheny, to sessions with Ringo Starr, Karen Jonas, Rebecca Rigo, and Justin Wells, and producing records with Whipper Will, Catherine Campbell, Kobe Langham and the Citizen Band, Donnie Bowling, Fifth on the Floor, and the forthcoming LP from Lilac, Tom brings a really broad and unique perspective to the music industry. A former denizen of the Washington, D.C. area, he now lives in Lexington, Kentucky, and can often be found at the Lexington Recording Company. Please welcome to the podcast, J. Tom Nato. Hi, this is uh, J. Tom Nato, and you're listening to Deep Cuts and Coffee. Amazing. Yeah, it's not like you've listened to episodes before or anything. <laughs> uh, there's still always that part of your brain that goes like, as soon as you say the name, I'm like, what is this? What? What was it again? What was the title? <laughs> it just like freezes out. You're listening to W and oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> oh man. So what's actually what's this? What's the radio station out out your way? And I, I can't remember if you're in Lexington or in Louisville because we played that show together just across the river from Louisville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm in Lexington, okay. and uh, it's uh, WFPK is the station in Louisville, and they've been huge supporters of like every band I've ever been in. They're they're amazing humans. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I had a I had a friend play that station not too long ago. Um, he's he's a he's a brother of somebody that I, I used to go to church with, and uh, he's got this like really like warm like you're in like Southwest Virginia mountains during the fall, um, probably like somewhere in the Smokies like folk vibe going on and it's it's just like warm and cuddly and it makes you want to like drink pumpkin spice and uh coffee all the time <laughs> nice <laughs> the, the last time i played in lexington we played at um god i forget the name it's like a barbecue joint slash venue uh willie's willie's locally known willie's that was it uh-huh yeah it was either was it was it the sort of smaller one where you were sort of tucked in a back room, or was it sort of the bigger one where you were sort of like it, it was one big it room? It was the bigger build out, yeah, where you're kind of it's like a shotgun oh, yeah, okay. room. You're looking down it. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. That has that has since closed. Okay. Um, but the old the old location used to be right there. There was a smaller one before they they did the the larger one uh, that was like basically right where I live now. Okay. Right on. So. And what's wow. the, what's the other venue there? Um, is it the Burl? The Burl, yeah. yeah. I'm actually playing there tomorrow. That place is very, very nice. Yeah, I've heard great things. Yeah, that's definitely on honestly on, on my list of like top Kentucky venues that I want to play one day. Um, like everybody and their mother uh that has had anything to do with the music industry and going anywhere has played there. Yeah, it's it's great. They opened up. It'd been a while since Lexington had a really good, you know, music venue that got a lot of out of town bands and kinda I don't know, sort of did did the thing that that the world that I live in, at least, and they opened up and they've just like, you know, it's like, it's sort of like 930 Club in DC or like any of those places where you're like, oh, you guys are actually doing everything that's like correct and the things that a venue should do and people like you. So that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is like oddly rare. It's yeah, it's it's like it's more rare. You're like, like, oh, (laughs) yeah, you're like, people were nice. That's weird. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the talent buyer was kind in our emails. Yeah, yeah. Tom, did you did you ever? So 
you have the unique experience of having like, you know, lived and played in DC for a really long time, but you've also done, you know, the, the entire, is Kentucky considered the Midwest? I'm going to call it the Midwest. Oh Um, shit. If it's not called the Midwest, I'm sorry. Yeah. So you're going to get me. This is, this is a great point of contention. And, uh, I'm just telling you that you're about, this is about to cause controversy. So, um, Uh Uh I'm not from, I'm not from Kentucky. Uh, I'm an East Coaster, so I'm definitely I'm I'm a usurper, and uh, it, is, it is a big debate among people whether uh, the uh, whether Kentucky is the South or the Midwest. I personally would call it the Midwest. Ooh! But that 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of think that's what you're seeing here right your now. Career. So yeah. I know when we toured there, I, I like I could tell it as we got more west in Kentucky, it definitely felt like the it, Midwest it, out on that side. But I could I could see we. It's a weird state, right? You know, it was it's it like was rivers and bridges. So it's that's what I think of the Midwest, right? Right, and it's like West West Virginia is like okay. So obviously you have like the mountains and trees and you know all that kind of stuff, and then you're in the eastern part of Kentucky, and that's it. Still feels like West Virginia, even though it's not. And then um, I remember when we were touring through with Strongwater yeah, very the, much. last year when I played that show with you, Tom, um, and uh, like how the geography like changed so quickly. It's like you went from mountains to hills with all these like crazy like rock formations that uh the front man of strong water greg could talk a lot about um i heard way too much geology uh (laughs) stuff on that tour Mm -hmm. it was unreal but it was also very interesting i learned a lot um and then and then you just like hit hit it it's a big it's a big state (laughs) for geology and then you just like get to that like flat section like right Mm -hmm. outside of louisville and you're like whoa (laughs) this place is a pancake (laughs) it just goes yeah yep Oh man! Yeah, yeah. So th- thanks for ending my career really early in this one, guys. Really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least <laughs> I'll never work again. <laughs> at least you still play pedal steel, and that's that's probably one of the most important things about living in Kentucky is being able to play pedal steel, right? It's true. Well, it's kind of the, one of the most important things about playing pedal steel is that uh, there's not a lot of people who play it. So that's that's actually why I started playing it when I lived in DC, was because I was like. There's not there's not a lot of people, and it doesn't matter how good of a guitar player I am because everyone's going to be really psyched about being a pedal steel player. So I was basically getting <laughs> like sessions before I actually knew how to play the instrument. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah, that's my my experience with that too. As far as um, hiring guys out, I've I've had pedal steel on my last two records, and I uh, I've used mm-hmm. Sam Wilson. I've oh yeah. Well past couple times and i think from he's a buddy of mine and from what i've heard i think he is slammed with remote and studio sessions because he's yeah. natural yep. based now and it's just i mean it is like a diamond you lock onto a steel player yeah it's yeah it's a it was a totally capitalistic move <laughs> that has to some degree paid off as much as as much as anything in the arts world pays off <laughs> so i'm really curious tom you know you're obviously a multi-instrumentalist, but like, what was your first instrument? Because I've, I've seen you play guitar and you're really accomplished there. I've seen videos of you playing bass and, and of course, pedal steel um, and all that kind of stuff. So like, what was your first instrument and what kind of got you going? 
Uh, I started my life as a piano player, like when I was like a you know a wee little kid, and uh, my parents forced me to take piano lessons for a long time, and I hated it, and I hated music, and I thought it all sucked. Uh, and my my dad is a is a very uh, is a great uh, saxophone player, and so when I was growing up, he you know would always want us to all all my brothers and I to play saxophone, and it just was like you know it's the hardest damn instrument, and it was like I don't like that, I'll never play that. I don't like piano, and then uh, my youngest brother ended up. So after like ten years of piano lessons, uh, uh, and I, I could quit when I was sixteen, and I quit when I turned sixteen, and then my uh, my youngest brother wanted a guitar for Christmas, and my parents like hid it in my room, and I kind of <laughs> like you know pulled it out and looked at it, and I was like, oh, this is this seems like it could actually be fun. I haven't had fun in music yet, so I sort of, you know, immediately, like, I was like, wait, I want a guitar, too. <laughs> so that's the that's the well, beginning. Yeah, that's, I, I played piano early on. I think we were talking about this in the, a recent podcast, but I hated it, because I was just some, you know, little kid, didn't realize what was happening, and, uh, you know, my, my parents asked me to play, like, mm-hmm. 10 minutes a day, and I hated it, and um, long story short, I, I would do anything to go back in time, and to have stayed yeah. playing that throughout the years, but I really wanted to sing and and you know be able to sing a melody over something. So that's I found my way to guitar via piano first, then cello, and then mandolin. So it it slowly mm-hmm. got more rhythmic as I went <laughs> on. It was like I I, I tried to dump. Yeah, down it's my nice. I mean, I do think though, like looking back on it, I'm sort of really glad. Like of all the instruments, piano is such the most useful instrument to learn first because it just kind of teaches you. You know, it teaches you not only rhythm, but it teaches you, you know, uh, uh, bass and chord structure and all that stuff. And like, it, 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 I think I've carried that more over to you know, I, I play keys on on a fair number of records now, and uh, it, it's just one of those things that it's such a nice thing to be able to sit down and be like, okay, here's the chords to this song, here's this loose structure, here's a harmony idea, here's whatever, and it, it's not something that. I, I think if I'd started on guitar or another instrument, I don't think I would, would have ever come like looped back around to that. Because guitar, you're like, oh, I put my fingers here, and that sounds awesome, <laughs> right? You know, and you're like, I don't actually know what that chord is. It's just the awesome sounding one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm really curious. Like, are you know, you play a ton of instruments now, but like, are there any that you're currently trying to learn how to play or? Uh, that you'd love to learn how to play in the future. I know you just mentioned before we jumped on that you'd love to learn how to play drums, but you know enough good drummers that you're kind of like, eh. Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to learn how to play the ones that I have. Um, <laughs> I would love to. I wanted to play drums. I wanted to play drums in my my dad's band. Uh, he and his drummer didn't get along, and so I wanted to play drums so bad, and my parents were like, uh, absolutely not happening ever. Um, <laughs> and then for a lot of sessions that I do... You know, I'll have to like hire out a drummer and I'm like, can you come over and just be like, play the simplest beat? Like the absolute simplest thing. And it's one of those things that I'm like, (laughs) if I learned to do this, I could just save like time and money and effort and whatever. And then it's like, yeah, that's just one more thing. You know, it's like, it's like adding another thing to the list. And it's like, I know people who are good at this. I'm never going to be good at it. At the most, I can be as kind of like crappily adequate. So, uh, so no, I feel like at this moment I'm pretty like pretty pretty my my minimal brain capacity is maxed out. <laughs> I feel like it's like, you know, a classic case of time value mm-hmm. of money. You know, like I could absolutely I could spend time trying to become a great drummer, or I could actually try and learn the guitar. 
like well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like I could yeah, get exactly. I could get somewhat decent playing guitar or learn how to play the drums really poorly or just learn how to program them in logic or call my friend Evan. <laughs> right. A much better drummer yeah. than I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I kinda you know, you've been you've been in a ton of different bands and projects. So um, maybe if you just want to kind of like talk about like how you got to Kentucky again, you kind of like started in DC um, and you've toured all over the country and I'm pretty sure the world, right? Yep. I have. Um, let's do sort of this, the brief biographical yeah. rundown. Yep. Of bands. Yeah. Go for it. Cause it's um, interesting. Yeah. So I moved, so I moved to DC and uh, I, I started playing with a band. Uh, I started playing with a bunch of bands there. Uh, this was when um, IOTA still existed. And uh, oh yeah, it was this sort of re- really formative place that I went to. And we had this little collective that once a month uh, called the Federal Reserve. And uh, we would sort of once a month, a whole bunch of people would come together and we'd all play music. And basically it was an excuse like to bring a couple of people out to IOTA on a night when no one would be, be there and have musicians run up some bar tabs. Um, mm-hmm. But it was this great thing where uh, uh, I started playing with this band called These United States, and um, there was uh, Mark from what later became Vandeveer uh, was part of it, and uh, Laura from the Minor Birds was there, and um, uh, Joe Pug was involved uh, yeah. here and there. And so it was... It was kind of be getting to be at the center of all these incredible songwriters in this moment that was sort of happening uh, in and around that area at the time. And so, you know, being – it's kind of one of the nice things is that, like, I, I've never really – I've always, like, known all of these brilliant songwriters. And so I've never thought, like, oh, you know, I should write songs because I'm like – I know – everyone I know is a great songwriter. And uh, it was always just kind of like, well, I think it's going to benefit me to, like, learn how to play with people instead. And so I kind of – you know, I had my – I started playing with these United States full time and I would play with Vandeveer when I could and I would play with Joe when I could and I would tour with the Minor Birds and just kind of do all these different do all these different things. And uh half of these United States was based in uh in Lexington because there was a moment where there was like a was like a forty dollar flight on Southwest back and forth, you know, and you were like, Well, this'll never end. Um and so we would, you know, fly the drummer up and back, and <laughs> yeah. uh, we came down here uh, to Lexington and did our our second record uh, um, at the studio here uh, with with Dwayne Lundy, who's the person I I work with now, and he and I hit it off, and I'd sort of, you know, I ended up sort of flying tracks into him over the years and learning to record through him. So yeah, you were saying that um, was it was it David Lundy you were working with? Uh, Dwayne, there's a guy named Dwayne Lundy. Uh, Dwayne Lundy, okay. Who who runs? Uh, um, used to be called Shangri La. Now it's the Lexington Recording Company, and we ended up sort of collaborating over the years. And every time we'd come through Lexington, I would sort of ended up getting hired on a session, or I'd just kind of go and be really annoying at the studio. And uh, uh, there was sort of a point where he was like, you know, if you're here, you can just work <laughs> here, and. Uh, I'd, I'd left D.C. and I was in North Carolina for a second and then, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I should just move to Lexington. It's, you know, it's cheap and half my old bandmates live there and, uh, you know, you can get anywhere in the country really easily right. from here. And it's, you mm-hmm. know, just a few hours, a couple hours from Nashville, but without the Nashville rent. So, uh, yeah, so I ended up in Lexington, which was just as much a surprise to me. Um, 
and then lived here for a few years and then started playing with the band uh, Horse Feathers out on the West Coast. So again, continuing the tradition of not ever being in a band that lives in the same space, very conveniently. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. And, and you've continued to like build a huge network and, you, and you've worked with a ton of different people even recently like you know again we were we were talking about it and i was really excited to see that you had uh worked with karen jonas uh who is based out of northern virginia dc area uh on her recent record that just came out um so i mean the stuff that you're doing remotely is you know incredible thank you yeah it was great that was a fun that was sort of a really fun record to get to do um and uh, there's another uh, there's another band called uh, Kentucky Avenue that are out of uh, DC, and uh, it's another uh, one the, the woman Stella Schindler in that band I'd played with years and years and years ago. So, uh, and also the drummer for uh, Karen's band is the very first person, the very first band I ever played with in DC is the drummer for that band. So it's like the most bizarre wow. world's recommingling thing happening. <laughs> yeah. That's that's wild. And then we we also made a connection um, through like realized that that we had crossed paths with uh, uh, Justin uh, Trawick, um, like yes. way back. Yep. Yeah, yeah, way back. <laughs> that's funny. I crossed paths with Justin in uh, in Chapel Hill a, a year or so ago at the uh, the local five hundred six. Oh yeah. I know that place very well. Um, so Tom, I was I was going on a deep dive slash stalking your uh, your website before this, and I'm curious when did the uh, when did the sessions start? You know, the sessions for pedal steel or guitar or keys or whatever. When did that start rolling in? Because you've been on a ton of records, man. I have been on a ton of records. I wish I could keep track of all of them. Um, I, I literally the ones that I've listed are sort of the ones I remember, and there's there's probably it, it sounds so egotistical to say it. there's probably about two hundred more that I've done over the years that I just haven't either haven't really ended up on the internet or haven't you know stuff that's like not really uh, I haven't been able to keep track of because I'm I'm bad yeah. at it um, you know and if someone doesn't tell me like oh yeah this record came out then I probably won't ever know unless there's a piece of press or there's something that sort of right. cues me into it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, honestly, I don't, how did, I'm trying to figure out how it happened. I just sort of, it was kind of, it was really through, through being in DC and being, being a part of the federal reserve. Um, I, I kind of just, you know, we would connect with these people and if someone needed something, you know, again, it's like you start playing pedal steel and suddenly you start getting gigs and it was just really through that. It was really through that collective of of people that I was like, cool, I'm doing this and then I'm going to play on a Vandiver record and I'm going to do a minor birds record. And, you know, eventually it sort of starts building up that this like very casual network of, of people, uh, kind of becomes more a vocation. Um, I, I wish I could say like, I had this idea, this moment where I like set out and was like, I'm going to become a session musician. Um, and then, and then moving to Kentucky, mm -hmm. uh, just working at the studio, uh, with Dwayne just sort of ends up, you know, uh, it'll just sort of get hired for a lot of sessions where whatever that skill set is, is whatever the, it is, whatever that skill set is, is, is necessary on it. So, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there's not really an answer to it other than for some reason people keep calling and asking me to do things, and and I, you know, I say yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, as yeah. we all learn to do it. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, exactly. We we yeah. adapt. Yeah, yeah. Coronavirus <laughs> can't take us down because we're adaptable. Yeah, I say that every morning while I'm crying <laughs> in bed <laughs> myself in the mirror. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. I, I gotta, I gotta know. How did the uh, the Ringo Starr connection happen? Um, I wish I had a great, great story. Uh, I mean, the story itself is is pretty wild. We have uh, a really great friend and big supporter of the band, um, who does publicity uh, for Ringo Starr. Um, okay, and he does a little birthday celebration every year out in L.A. at Capitol Records, and. So uh, Vanderveer got a call, you know, it was like, you get the phone call and they're like, do you want to come out and play Ringo's birthday celebration? Yes. And it's like, well, I, you know, yes. I don't know, I guess. <laughs> How do I you think say no? <laughs> I'm kind of busy that day. Yeah, of course. Like you say yes. And so it was really cool because obviously we got to go to LA and we got to go to Capitol Records. Right. And um, the, the really, the, the, the really, I mean, everything about it was so mind blowing. And then um, there was a moment where, uh, we sort of also stumbled into uh, Al Schmidt, who's one of the greatest engineers mm-hmm. of all time, uh, work, working on some of uh, Frank Sinatra's last session in the A Room at Whoa. Capitol Records. And our drummer basically figured out, like, weaseled his way into the session. So he and I just got to, like, sit there for an hour. So it was like, oh, cool. Well, we just got to meet Ringo Starr and... Uh, you know, Ben Montench and all these other like incredibly famous people. And David Lynch was at this party. Oh my God. Um, oh my God. And, you know, just like this totally bizarro. It, it was like, it was, a, it was this weird thing where I'm like, I'm the only, I'm the least famous person here by a degree of like 800 <laughs> fold. Um, and we like, and they had like a little, they had like a little bar set up. And we like went over and we're like, cool, what's the strongest thing you have? And they're like, well, there's beet juice and you can put some ginger in it. And it was like, oh, it's, <laughs> It's a non-alcoholic kind of bar, yeah. Because no, well, none of them are drinkers. Right. They're all, um, and, and and that's that's their thing. And I'm like, all right, it's like eleven in the morning. I, we're we're playing for this like battery of video cameras. That's already you know you're like playing and you're out right in front of Capitol Records and it's it's all like so nerve wracking. And I'm like, we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna like need some whiskey for this. We're just gonna have to. So we're like sneaking <laughs> yeah. around Capitol Records to like. To like a room, you know, like a room where we're all like huddled in a little closet doing like just doing a shot to get to get our courage up. Um, (laughs) And uh, that's amazing. And we're like Uh. and 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 and, and as we're playing, I thought like I was like, you know, this is really nerve wracking, but at least like Ringo Starr is not here. Like he's not going to watch us play. That's that's ridiculous. And then as I like as we're playing, I kind of looked over to my right and there's like Ringo Starr, you know, like a foot. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shoot. Uh, oh. and, uh, so it was amazing. I mean, it was a really, it was this really, really, really special experience. And, and, uh, we got back home after we did it and a couple months later got, got an email and they said, Hey, Ringo really liked the arrangements you guys did, uh, uh of those songs. Would you be interested in playing on his new record? And, you know, it's the same thing that you're like, well, think about it, I guess, but you know, we'll see what happens. And, uh, oh yeah, so we're like, yeah. Of course. So they so you know they they just sort of sent the concert keys and and we ended up we recorded our our arrangements uh here in Lexington and 
you know, you just sort of sent it off into the ether, and then it was like radio silence. Like, huh. nothing, nothing for months. And it was like, okay, well, that's cool. You know, obviously, obviously somebody was like, you're right, this was a bad idea. <laughs> right. Um, and then suddenly there was like a press, there was like a press release that came out and they said, well, you know, it was like just as much news to us who had sort of thought it wasn't going to happen. Uh, that they were like, cool, well, you're on two new songs on the Ringo Starr record. Oh my like, gosh. Oh, Whoa. okay. <laughs> uh, and, and then, uh, and then, of course, you know, we, like, emailed, and we're like, do you think we could have an advanced copy in Capitol Records? Because kind of like, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> we have your tracks now. You're, you're out of the loop. I mean, they're like, you know, you're like, I promise we won't play them for anyone. I'm like, everyone's going to hear this. Every person is going to hear this. So it was kind of like, it was wow. just as much a surprise to me to, like, wait till midnight when it came out and, you know, download the tracks and... And get to get to listen wow. to them. Were you pleased? Was it a good mix? Yeah, I, actually, the mix was pretty good. It was pretty solid. Uh, actually, it was really it was really great. Um, the you know we did a lot of the effects that we'd printed. They'd used it was it was pretty much wow. it wasn't that different from our reference mix, which was also kind of was really you know just kind of an exciting moment to be like, oh, cool. And actually, I'm always like, well, they didn't cut yeah. my stuff, so that's exciting. <laughs> that's like the news to me is that nobody right. hit mute because that's what I assume will happen. <laughs> So, uh, that wow. would that would have been just like the greatest letdown of all time if, if they just like looked at the you know pedal seal track or whatever you were playing for that and they're just like, eh, we don't need that mute, <laughs> M- mute, yeah, yeah. Or at least they didn't you know copy it and have someone else play. I've heard that story before about, uh, um, I, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine here playing keys on something, um, and long story short, his parts were used. Uh, in a John Mayer track, but it was not never attributed oh. to him. <laughs> oh yeah, uh huh, yeah. Ouch. So at least that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Ouch! Not that I know of. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine the circulation that your music right. has now made across the world. I mean, Ringo Starr must have the budget to push that pretty far and wide. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll actually tell this, and only just because I just noticed it the other day, and we've been sort of laughing about it. Um, so this is it. This is where also I'm going to. Like sound like I'm making fun of Ringo Starr. So this is this could be called just called the last interview. Um, <laughs> oh no! At this point, but we have it right here, everyone. Yeah, here we go. He's done. Um, in the credits for the record, um, he thanks obviously a lot of people, but there's a thank you to Sweetwater, and I've just thought that was it was like you know to Sweetwater for one day delivery something. And I just thought that's, that's amazing, and it just sort of led to this absurdist conversation that uh, Mark, the singer of Andavir, and I were having about, like, that that we're like that means he is a Sweetwater rep who calls him, who's like, uh, "Hey, Richard, still doing that music thing? <laughs> wondering right. how those, uh, wondering how those four XLR cables in that capo worked out for you? Uh, you still that thing? Okay, it's one of my favorite Do you capos. Still want Kaiser the musician discount? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Helping? Oh my gosh! Yeah. That's like that's absurd. Is it yeah. like it's yeah. it's amazing. But isn't isn't it <laughs> no? Isn't it beautiful <laughs> I mean, though that like they put on their pants the same way every morning that we do. Like they drink a cup of coffee <laughs> just like we do. And honestly, like that's the entire point of this podcast is to shine a light on those kinds of things because we're all people. Like <laughs> we all have sweet water reps. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. he, they're as amazed with Sweetwater's customer service as I am. Right. I mean, yeah, was... right, exactly. You're like, yeah, we got stuff. I got that I got that cable overnight. It's awesome. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to make the credit. That's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> the, best, the best marketing Sweetwater could ever ask for right there. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Made his liner notes. Um, wow. Well, to, to pivot a little bit, did I see you guys are both drinking coffee? Yes, I'm I'm out of uh, the coffee loop here. Let's let's talk some coffee. Talk coffee. Do you have like a favorite blend? Are you a hot cold person? Uh, you know what's kind of like what's your what's your go to when you're at home and what's your go to when you're on the road? Oh man, uh, this well, I feel like now you guys are gonna kick me off the podcast. This is it. This is the last. This is, this is the done. last last episode. Um, I love really crappy coffee i'm a huge fan (laughs) like my blend at home is like the kroger giant tub of coffee and you know i'll make it i'll i'll do it in a french press i'll do it in one of those little like stovetop things there's a couple different ways to make it but it's just kind of the thing that i can if i'm at home just gonna crank through bad coffee all day and uh um my partner uh rebecca is not of that persuasion uh, and has refined taste. So we also have like nice coffee that there's a process of making. But then, but then when she leaves, it's like I'm just down to like just crappy coffee, just drinking it all day. Just <laughs> motor you know, oil, just the worst. Yeah, absolutely. And I I love it. It's like it's kind of the you know I it's so kind like, of the thing on the road is like I feel like the very satisfying thing is like a diner cup of coffee. I was gonna say, I feel like you're bred for the road. You're like bred for that like water thin cup of coffee from a Texaco and a styrofoam <laughs> cup that I despise. He he walked into the uh, yeah into the pool off absolutely, where, and you're like <laughs> with <laughs> styrofoam cup man. Yep, we're returned. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's like you know, I feel like it's like of all the things on the road, people are like you know they're like oh we gotta find this coffee shop and this is whatever and you're. You're driving around whatever city and looking for this coffee shop, and it's actually like it's a shack in someone's backyard that they're hand making this thing, and it's like there's an hour long wait, and I'm just like, man, I'll just go to the, like I'm fine with whatever, like you know, I get like a cup of coffee and I'm happy with it. It makes me happy just to have this sort of like warm beverage in my hand that I don't have to think too hard about and like don't have to process much on and don't have to like you know don't have to engage on an intellectual level. It's not like fifteen dollars. I mean, you go to like a, a nice pourover shop, you're gonna wait like twenty five minutes. It's gonna be oh, yeah. fifteen dollars. And it's just not it's not kind to the musician wallet. No, no, it's not. Well, I, I can't I unfortunately, Tom, I can't I can't get on with that train if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna drink coffee, it's well, okay, not I can't not completely get on with that train. Uh, I, I do from time to time, you know, enjoy the the cold uh, refrigerator at sheets, you know, coffee. Um, as well as, you know, uh-huh. the wait in the backyard for 20 minutes. Um, I, I can get there. I'm not going to spend a ton of money on coffee just because I'm kind of like, it's, it's coffee. Like how much, how much can you really spend on it? Um, but I, I will admit that I have bought like, you know, the $8 Frappuccino latte pumpkin spice thing, uh, that Shenandoah Joe's is offering, uh, which is one of the local coffee shops here in Virginia. So I've been there, done that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I guess. I guess I need to say. I don't know. I, I don't object to that. 
if that like you know it's kind of whatever brings you joy like especially like you know whatever makes you happy about it that's great i'm not i'm not judging anyone who who does it i just realize where my happiness in the and the coffee comes from, and I can I can appreciate a good cup. I can be like, oh yeah, this is good. You know, mm. I like this. I like this. This is a nice little pour over. Someone personally paid attention to making this instead of like being a disgruntled, angry sheets employee. Like they care about their job. That's great. I love that. It's just it doesn't. It's not. It's not a joy that I I seek out on a regular basis. Yeah, I get that. Co- coffee's kind of like beer. Like I, I love a good local craft brew but i also love a good course sometimes it just depends that's, what that's what exactly it yep. yeah yep for sure so uh tom one of one of my favorite things about uh about being a friend with you on facebook is being able to see your um your posts about uh quotes from the road and stuff like that is there anything Besides those oh, yeah. like funny interactions and sayings that you're you're kind of missing right now, like being at home all the time, or are you kind of like happy, um, just kind of like hanging out in the studio and and uh, grinding hard with that stuff? Uh, you know, it's obviously been a pretty big change this year, uh, to say the least, for I think a lot of people's livelihoods. Uh, yeah, uh, this is the longest in about 15 years that I've been off the road, uh, and so that's a big thing to get used to. And, uh, you know, I do miss it. I miss being out. I, I, you know, I miss, I miss my bandmates and horse feathers. I miss getting to be out on the West coast so much. Um, and just sort of that rhythm of life that I've had for so long, you know, you get to go out and see stuff and look at things and, you know, sit in a, sit in a van and have existential (laughs) dread happen. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sort of all of, all of that stuff. And I, I really sort of, just that very different rhythm of life uh, is something I enjoy. And I feel very lucky because, you know, I can – I've been able to sort of pivot pretty pretty quickly uh, to just going into full studio rap mode, which is another – you know, it's another part of my life that I really, really enjoy. But, but I, I would definitely be lying if I said I wasn't, you know, really missing sort of some of those, you know, just those, those tour moments between the shows mm-hmm. – uh, quite a bit i mean is there is there uh so i i because you've had so many good quotes over the past like year that we've been facebook friends are there is there any like tour moment um that that pops out in your mind that you're kind of like oh this is this is one of my favorites oh man um well i got to spend a lot of time last year uh with this band whippoorwill uh from fort collins colorado and uh i produced a record of theirs and then uh, I'd, I'd gone out and, uh, uh, taught a little bit at the place that one of the, the women, uh, in the band works. And so I spent a lot of time in Colorado, uh, last year. And I really, you know, just sort of those, uh, obviously Colorado is a really beautiful place. It seems like an understatement to be like, oh, it's nice. Yeah. Good spot. Um, but you know, just kind of having those sort of moments where you wake up, and I, there's something about the West Coast that always draws me in. And I, I don't know if I'd want to live there, uh, but just those places where 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 you wake up and you're sort of surrounded by by vastness and mountains and all this sort of natural beauty, and you know, it's I, I think just being from the East Coast, I'm sort of used to that very sort of small. You wake up and you're like, cool, I can see the next city um, mm. that's extending mm-hmm. into this city. And th- there's something about, you know, those are those are the sort of things like I really love, 
you know, there's a particular moment where you're driving, you're driving west, and you kind of go up through the desert, and then you get out. Uh, I think it may be on eighty. Um, you kind of go up through the mountain. It feels like you're on the moon, and you're going up, and it's it's so desolate and so so vast and so open. And then suddenly you like cross over into California and you start descending and everything just turns green and beautiful and lush and you feel the humidity start rising. And, and it's, there's like, it's always a moment I've done it so many times and every time it still feels just as magical to, to get to be a part of that. And that's like, like those are sort of the tour moments, the like really the kind of just like looking Mm -hmm. out the window and, you know, staring at the, the beauty of, of, of the Mm -hmm. world. I think I've done a similar drive, maybe paralleling that on 40, um, where you go from basically like Santa Fe through the Mojave Desert, through like Needles, Nevada, and you make that crazy descent. I think you're in, um, I forget which, it's you're west of, um, not Burbank, but you're you're, you're east of LA, and you Mm -hmm. go, it's just the craziest like dip down to the Pacific. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing, it's a really like, it's such a special, it's like one of those things that, it, and also I think like if you haven't traveled, you know, sixteen hundred miles to get there, it doesn't quite right. mean as much. But it's like <laughs> right. you, you know, for us, we're like, whoa, that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We that's that's so true. We were driving cross country, my wife and I, and that that's the end of it. And it was the payoff was like, this is insane. Like I could not have asked for a more epic ending to this very long journey. I I, I always I always think like. How brave are the people who went out west? Like, people left. They left from here. You know, they left from wherever. They left. And so they, like, trudge out through the Midwest. And they're like, all right, it's pretty flat. It's not bad. You know, and you go through Kansas, and it's it's horrible and long. And they, <laughs> they probably get pulled over by the Kansas State Police 18 <laughs> times. And, you know, and then they, like, get out to Colorado. And they're like, man. And, and, and my, my feeling is that, like, the first settlers probably got to Colorado, and it was springtime. Mm. And they're like, this right. is it. This is heaven. We've made it. This is the yeah. most beautiful place on earth. There's nothing wrong with this place. And then, and then, so there's like two groups of people. And, and then it like turns to like, you know, like October. And suddenly they're like, oh, it's getting a little chilly out here <laughs> suddenly. Uh, but then there's people who got there. They got to those mountains and they were like, oh, no, no, we should keep going. We should go over those. We should go over those mountains. <laughs> and it's like, man. That's insane. And then they get out to the desert. They saw the desert and they were like, no one thought we should just, that other place was really good and we were good in that place. And everything Turn around, was fine. go back. They were like, oh no, we should, we should keep going. Yeah, yeah. Back up, back up. They were like, oh no. And there was someone, there was someone who was like, I promise you on the other side of this, it'll be amazing. And after like hundreds of miles through that, they're still like, I promise you guys, other side of this. Like that's the brave part. Is that yeah. And then there's like the the small few people who finally got out there and they're like, Oh, it is pretty nice. But everyone else you'd be like, No, fuck this, we're going home. (laughs) Yeah, I I I I ruminate on um, you know, what parts of history I'd like to go back to if I had the choice. And that era of pioneering, like homesteading in the wild, wild west, like Jeremiah Johnson mm. era, that, uh-huh. that's that's high on my list. Yeah, that's a that's a brave move to make. <laughs> well, just I think I just want to be an observer. And <laughs> okay, gotcha. Out. I don't gotcha. want to like get the syphilis. Get the gotcha. Typhoid, okay. Yeah. 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 Die. Yeah. yeah. No, it's no, no. it's we don't want to play the real life version of Oregon Trail. We've played the game version plenty of that's, times. Yeah. I was. I was uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, you're a bolder man than I by far. No, I want to enjoy the good jerky they probably had yeah, back there. Yeah, fair. Yeah, totally. You know, like, have some popcorn. It, like, some, yeah, exactly. Come on. That's about it. Yeah. That's as authentic yeah. as I want to get. Maybe maybe seeing the, like, the first... Uh, person from the united states to see the grand canyon like let's we'll, we'll do that we'll go to that moment in time you know i think that you gotta go way back for that one <laughs> right right that'd be good yeah, yeah there you go yeah so um like i obviously you know living on the east coast and touring the west coast like what what are the biggest differences i guess that you've seen um just like as far as like tour life uh it's hard for it's kind of funny. Uh, I feel like the differences are like East Coast tour. The difference is, is in scale and scope, and and it's sort of the same as like, and you can sort of bring Europe into it too. Is that like if you live, if you live on the East Coast, you're like, ah, oh, we got a uh, we got a far drive today. We're gonna go from DC to New York, and you know mm-hmm. if all goes well, it's gonna take us three hours. And of, of course, it's not gonna go well. It's gonna take you six hours. You're gonna hit traffic. There's gonna be whatever but you're just like oh it's you know you can you can live in DC or you can live in Philly or New York and you can like get to so many places within just right. a few hours of that you can be like we're going to play you know you can do like a 5 day tour and you can be like we're going to play Boston and Philly and Baltimore and New York and Richmond and you know can get down to Chapel Hill and it's like a very reasonable thing and you've really haven't gone that far and the West Coast mentality is so different because you're like, all right, we're gearing up to do this. You know, you're like, cool, we're playing L.A. and we're playing San Francisco tomorrow. And it's like, okay, got to leave the hotel at 6 a.m. van call. And we're still going to be rushing to get there. And, you know, it's like this the scale is so big out there that it's such the, – the mentality is much more like – I think in some ways it kind of makes – it it makes places have a more sort of like insular music mm. scene because you're not it's not quite as cross pollinated so you kind of stay home and and develop your own thing in a in a, a cool mm. way that's totally offhand remark um, but uh, it it's such a diff- just the scope is there and you know it's like it's funny we were in uh, Horse Feathers did uh, a tour uh, last two years ago of. Uh, of Europe and we rented a van in the UK and we would drive and people would be like, you know, we were like, Oh man, it's only a, it's a two and a half hour drive to him. People are like, it's so far. It's two and a half hours by driving. <laughs> you know, And you're like, yeah, like that, that wouldn't even get us out of like a state where we're from. That wouldn't get us to another place, right. you know? No. Or like right. we did one. I don't, I, I don't, I don't remember where we were going. There was some drive we had, we, we had a four hour drive and it's like, People are like, that is so far. And it's like, man, that wouldn't get you out of like, that wouldn't get you from one city to another in California. It wouldn't even get you close. It wouldn't, or or even across the state of Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're like, yeah, that would get you from like a Shoot, nowhere you- to nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could drive, well, I mean, I guess the scale is you could drive across the UK right. in a, a few hours. That's you cross yeah. the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's like, you know, it's this it's the scale you're used to. And I think the thing that it, it never ceases to blow my mind, and I'm sure I, I mean maybe it's like it never ceases to blow my mind how big the country we live in is. Mm. It's so big, almost absurdly so that you're driving and you're like, we've done twelve hours today and we've gone through like a state and a half. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's gigantic. I had the same experience when I'm, we did our cross country trip. I was like, how have we driven 15 hours and we've gone from Texas to like Texas? Yeah, you're like we're here. still we haven't haven't crossed the state we haven't crossed the border. Uh, <laughs> yeah, woke up and went to sleep in the same like state. Purgatory. Yeah, yeah. Woof. Um, so kind of a, a hard a hard shift again. Um, but I wanted to ask you know you had kind of mentioned that you've you've played on so many records. Um, and again you have had the opportunity to to work with uh, Ringo Starr's uh you know folks on 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 that record. Um, so. Who would you say are kind of like your influences? Because again, you're you're playing so many instruments. I can only imagine that you've kind of developed like this really vast catalog of of people that you you um, you know look up to and kind of draw inspiration from. Um, and you know, kind of like who who are those people? And and are there any records or songs that you're kind of like, oh, these are these are the deep cuts for me that I'm I'm attracted to, and I, I wish that you know they would have more. Um, more public attention so kind of three questions in one um yeah that is that's <laughs> a, that's a lot uh in a, in a in a very good way um I, you know i i think i've always like been really drawn to like uh i i mean i've sort of had this experience and and i this is this is absolutely not like a, a deep cut at all but um there's there's I think a lot of it for, for for me. Sorry, let me start sort of gather my thoughts on this. A lot of it for me comes sort of from more the like producer uh, centric world, um, and so I think like someone like um, you know Dan Lanois is and his work has been a huge influence on me. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, um, I, I remember I had this really distinct memory of being a kid and my dad coming home with U2's Octung Baby. And uh, I don't even know how old I was, but I, I remember it, like being put on in this moment of like sitting in my parents' living room and, and having this thing where I was like, this doesn't sound like music to me. It sounds so different. And it's sort of like, I think it was the first time I was exposed to like music as art, uh, not just the songwriting and the structure, but just like the idea that these sounds could come from all these really different places and they weren't understandable and... Uh, you know, it wasn't this linear thing where it's like, here's a band in a room playing, and we've recorded the band, and you listen to it, and it mm-hmm. sounds like the band. And it really, like, it, what was really interesting to me was then to sort of go down that rabbit hole and then end up working with people and um, uh, end up, you know, wor- that a lot of the people who have been the most influential people who I've learned from in my life have been sort of of the same, have had sort of the same uh, producers, be it like Dan Lanois or Chad Blake or those people who are creating these like sonic spaces to mm-hmm. sort of live in. And I, I've always sort of, I, I've always been drawn more to that than like, you know, I, I love, uh, you know, I think like my, I hate to say it again, but like Dan Lanois is one of my favorite steel players. And uh, I think just like people who have been, are drawn more uh, or someone like Ry Cooter, who just people who vanish into the work so it's less about like here's this guy shredding on the thing and look at this you know sick solo and like obviously there's like there's a place for that and it it's not to sort of speak ill of that but I think what really always draws me in is like you hear the song and you're just you're so engrossed in the song and then whatever else is happening in that is building this little world sort of cocoon to live in uh of of 
of space that you listen to it and you get to live in this little like world for three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's always been the mm-hmm. thing is to try to be like, you know, and it, it's almost like, you know, obviously to, to sort of try to come from a very egoless place, which is of course impossible because, you know, I live in the arts. I have a huge ego. That's, you know, it's something, but, but something, but really to work for that, just to think like, you know, like, does this really need a guitar solo? Mm. I should probably cut myself if I'm producing, you know, or to think like, how can I support mm-hmm. this really, for lack of a better word, like the sacred creation of the song that exists, right. uh, instead of it being about like, check out my cool licks, bro. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to describe all of that because I've I've only made a couple records, so I'm I'm a, I'm a a baby in my record making process compared to you, but that that's you know for the sake of the song to me we uh we talked to a buddy about that yesterday that Towns Van Zant line there is something about being egoless when you are creating a record or a single or whatever and that sonic space it does require that like that ego egoless space of mm-hmm. sacrificing something for the yep. greater good of the song yeah 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 and, 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 and. And, and and so and I, I mean you know it's always like you do that and then it's like I feel like those are the moments where like as a as a as a producer or even as a session player just you know when you're around the song that's the moments that like the song can like can speak to basically it starts speaking back right. to you where mm-hmm. you know you go oh well this definitely needs this weird spoken interlude thing here and it's like well, where I have no idea where this idea came from but it's just it seems like the most perfect thing for this. Uh, instead of trying to sort of, you know, force your own square peg whateverness into it, yeah. uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't. And, and I, I mean, you know, of course I struggle with that all the time. And I look back on like my early bands and I think, oh man, why was I so difficult right? about this? Like, why did I uh. feel like, you know, why did, why did I have to play? Why was I like, I have to play on right. this song? And the real answer would be, I should have said, I'm not playing on right. this song. The thing calls for me like to sit in a corner and shut up. <laughs> or uh, there, right. there's a great moment. Um, I think it's and and I'm I maybe I don't know if you guys have seen the film uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Yeah, I haven't. Um, it's 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 worth it's worth looking at. Um, there's footage of the Stones recording uh, the song Sympathy for the Devil and developing it in the studio, and it's incredible to watch it sort of take place. And they really truly, it's like watching the greatness of of this song takes shape and, and the way there's a moment where like, you know, it starts out and then there's a moment where Bill Wyman is playing uh shaker on it. And that's okay. what he, en- that's what he ends up playing. He doesn't play bass on that track. It's Keith playing bass. And wow. it's, no it's way. just really, you know, it's really kind of interesting to, to watch. It's, it's really, it's a really great part of uh, insight into the creative process and kind of, you know, having that idea where you're kicking it around and seeing what it is. And then, they're suddenly like they cut back to this moment. And you're like, ah, eh, that's not it. That's not it. And they cut back to the moment, and suddenly that groove is there. And you're like, oh, this is going to be sympathy for the devil. Mm. You know, they found the sort of skeleton of this song. It's really, really cool. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love oh, yeah. footage like that. I um, I've never written a song like sympathy for the devil, but I uh, not yet. That not process yet, of like not yet. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but that process of, you know, realizing like that little moment when it happens is most, 
visible for me when I start to throw stuff at a song and it, it starts to bounce off. Mm-hmm. Like that's when yeah. I notice it the most, especially some of my, my more like intimate ballady kind of stuff. Like when I think it needs more, or it needs more of a mm. you know low end or something. It, it's always when I do that that like in my producer and I were like, mm, I mean we could, but I just don't. It doesn't add anything to the song, even though like sonically, decibel wise, there's a lot more going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we kind of had that experience the other day. I think. Well, when when we were doing uh, we were putting together some some demos for um you know an upcoming holiday work um and uh you know the the last the last song that we worked on uh you know we were just like trying to like you know initially it was like we were trying to like force stuff and then it was like it just like hit us like a freight train like oh this is how this is like how it's gonna how it's gonna form how it's gonna flow and and like once we once mm-hmm. we discovered that we were able to just like sit in it and and we instantly knew it was like you had just you know shifted the gears stopped grinding and you had shifted into to to eighth or whatever and and we were we were you know riding high yeah yeah it's which i mean sorry go ahead well take it away tom i was gonna say for me that's you know that's sort of the moment that always keeps it keeps the the creative process so Mm -hmm. exciting that there's always those moments and you know, even the most, I think it's like, it's trying to stay in those moments and have that sort of beautiful sense of naivete about things where you're like, you know, suddenly there's that moment where you're like, oh, that idea just revealed itself without any sort of, you know, it almost, it, it it's the closest thing for me to feel like, you know, magic in the world that you're like, oh, suddenly this, this whole thing just revealed itself as to what it is. And, and suddenly everyone's on the same page and you're like, oh yeah, this and this and this and this. And then it's just like, you know, that's just kind of what the song wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like when the song takes yep. over mm-hmm. yeah, and starts mm-hmm. guiding the process more so than the artists yeah. in the room. And I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel like drummers for the most part, were the most likely to overplay. Um, you know, at least at least from the sessions that I've been in, I don't I don't know what your experience has been, Tom. Um, lead guitar players, I would throw. Okay. Yeah, lead guitar players, okay. violin players, everyone, everyone's <laughs> thing is. But I mean, if you want to throw it, if you want to throw it on yourself, Evan, you can. I mean, you know, I'm I'm always I'm always you know, am I mean that's a question that I'm asking myself a lot is, am am I letting my ego take over? And there were, there were a couple times the other day when we were you know trying to trying to do demos, and I was like. Oh, my ego really wants to do this, and I was like, "Nope, nope, yeah, nope, don't do that." <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's so hard. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard, you know. And it's like, I always, uh, you know, I know. Like, uh, luckily enough, getting to work with Dwayne, who is very, very good about, is sort of an expert editor when I'm playing with him, and I'm like on a session, and I'm always like. Oh, check out this sweet bass lick that I'm going to put in. And so instead of dropping to the one, I'm dropping to the three here and I'm doing this. And I'm like, I'm totally sneaking this in this time. And he'll be like, what if you just like play the root? And so I was like, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do pedal tones for the whole song. And it, you. But, you know, and it, and it works. It's it's sort of that realization of like, you know, the it's like, and then when you like listen to records, at least when you listen to sort of, I think the records that all of us work on, which are, you know, they're pop records. You're working on pop songs. You're working on sort of discreet, catchy things. And mm-hmm. 
all the people, all the parts that you love are for the most part really, really simple. Right. Like nothing is is difficult and nothing is overplaying. And so it makes it makes that sense of when you do actually sort of dig in for a measure or whatever, you know, when you do play that one cool drum fill, it's like, oh wow. Yeah. Man, that's a cool part. Yep. Yeah. It's intentional at that point because it stands. Yeah. Out. Yeah. But it is really hard. I mean, it's all the time. It's just like, you know, even for like for like steel, I'll kind of have to be at a point where I'm like, I'm just gonna cut this down to like playing pads and cutting it down even more. And then I'm like, maybe I'll put 17 delays on it, and then that'll kind of keep me, you know, keep me from trying to dig in too much because otherwise I'll just get noty. Um and Dude, just that's, you know, that's always my just kind of like, steel what playing. if I play less? What um, if I play less? Oh yeah, yeah. I I love a pedal a pedal steel pad. Like I'll take it over an organ any day. It's I amazing. It's I mean, gorgeous. It, you know, look. It's sort of here's here. The cool thing about steel is that it's such a like. It's weird because for being such a new instrument, for being newer than electric guitar, and you know, really, it it's so it's become such a niche thing. And you know, mm-hmm. the people are like I have I have country song. I want pedal steel, and it's like <laughs> right. yeah, but but we can use it like. We can use it like an organ. Mm-hmm. We can put delays on mm-hmm. it. We can we can use it as a, you know, we can put these really great, beautiful low pads on a song and you won't notice them. We're like, you know, we'll do, uh, in Horse Feathers, we've been developing this thing where we'll write out sort of string parts and steel parts together. And so we'll like start stacking them up or like I'll put three or four different steel parts where I'm playing, you know, various uh, flavors of chord and we'll we'll stack six of those on top of each other and then double it and suddenly it becomes this like beautiful wall of sound it's like it's such a fun instrument to like it, at least for me where I'm like ah, I don't know what I'm gonna do here is I'll be like what if I had 10 of these on here you know it, it, it's it got such a beautiful creative output on it and such a, a beautiful like tone to it both in low end and high end and you know where it can sort of live in the spectrum and it's it, it's you can get so creative with it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like, I feel like that's still like a secret to people. Mm. Yeah. Dude, I want to hear that. That yeah. sounds incredible. Well, then it always gets, for that. it always gets really tucked low in the mix. And then everyone's like, oh, I like that synth part. <laughs> <laughs> it's not synth. It's steel. I'm like, I spent four hours building that part. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's not just a me and my here's MIDI my, keyboard. Just here's my here's here's my ego coming out. <laughs> and this little intro yeah. pad. Uh uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Like yeah, exactly. Oh. And then immediately someone's like someone's like, I don't think we actually need that intro. Right. <laughs> it's extra fat. Let's trim it down it's for the just, radio yeah, thing. Let's oh, cut it. Man. Yeah, exactly. You're slowly oh, dying man. inside. Yeah. Well, I I, I think that this is a this is a great place to close it out uh, on on that note, uh, Tom. And I just want to say thank you so much again for for jumping on uh, on this episode with us. You know, it was it was super awesome that that you said yes and and having just like you know made that that quick connection at uh, Nick Dittmeyer's house show that Strongwater played last summer and then and staying in touch. So um, yeah, thank you so much. But before you jump off, um, why don't you go ahead and, and say uh, where people can find your your stuff? Because obviously, like. We're hoping to give you some more work out of this because you've been such a great guest. Yeah, um, um, I'm on the. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks. Great. Yeah, anytime. Um, uh, I am on the internet, and if you spell my name correct, uh, I will. I will come up. That's the sort yeah. of. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I. I 
play with uh, Horse Feathers is sort of the active band that I uh, that I play with most of the time. And then uh, I work at the Lexington Recording Company in Lexington, Kentucky. Awesome. So awesome. Yeah, Tom. Sorry, I was go ahead, Will. Oh. Evan. Afternoon. Go oh, yeah. Zoom awkwardness. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say like. Uh, and and the song that you want us to to put here at the at the end of the episode, uh, do you want to just like mention a little bit about that? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it's so uh, it's, a, it's a song called "In the Dust," and uh, I um, at sort of at the very beginning of quarantine, I'm lucky enough that my house uh, also serves as a recording studio, and uh, so my partner Rebecca Rigo and I, uh, she had written this song, and we sort of. Uh, started digging into it and outsourced the drums to uh, uh, an old bandmate of mine in New York who sent him in. And then uh, we just sort of, you know, dug in very early quarantine and hold up and uh, put the song, uh, I think released it just in a, you know, kind of had it like recorded and mixed just in a, in a few weeks. Great. I can't wait to hear it. It, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll sort of separate, and you can obviously, you know, cut this out if it's fluff. But, but it's sort of the perfect example of we ended up with this instrumental in the middle of it, and, uh, you know, it was like trying different solos and trying different instruments and sort of throwing everything about nothing stuck, and then we sort of ended up with this like uh, finding these two different poems to read simultaneously. Uh, and it just happened that the, uh, the ending word of one of the, I sort of picked one of them at random and the ending word ended up being the first word of the chorus coming out of it. And so it, it, it was basically this thing of like cutting myself as the soloist and then creating this little soundscape thing that, that I think ended up working way more beautifully than like my noodling ever possibly would. Wow. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Um, well, cool. I cannot wait to hear it. And ditto to what Evan said, Tom. Really, I know you're a busy guy, and this is a, this is our highest profile podcast yet. So we were really stoked to have you, and I just really appreciate you taking the time. Oh man, I really I appreciate. It. Thank you guys so much. It's a really cool. It's a podcast, and I, you know, it's it's a cool podcast. It sounds great. I really I like what you guys are doing, and um, thanks for thanks for having me. I really really enjoyed chatting. 